This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. For those of you just joining us, this is the second session of the Total Member Involvement Seminar Track. And this is the one entitled, if I'm not mistaken, Q&A, uh, talking with Elder Ted Wilson, uh, questions and answers. And I want to just give you a brief introduction and format before we go forward. Uh, the questions that are going to be asked today uh, cover a wide range of topics. Now, the last presentation was all about total member involvement, and it was a blessing. Amen. Good, good, good. <laughs> This will probably have some questions along those lines, but it will branch out into a much wider, broader uh, range of topics. And if these questions have been submitted almost entirely from Seventh-day Adventist young people. They were solicited ahead of time. Uh, I don't know, sometimes you have... A, you hear Q&A and you think there's going to be a couple mics and a long line of people just... We're not going to be doing that just because we've already gotten the questions ahead of time from the young people through GYC, through social media and that kind of thing. So they've been submitted. Some of you might be in here have already asked the question and your question is in the queue here. Um, uh, but we, for the sake of time and clarity and organization, it's going to be better to streamline it this way. Um, so as the, moder of the moderator of this session, I have reviewed the questions. Uh, to organize them into general categories, and in some cases have rewarded them for, you know, clarity or brevity, but to keep the format conversational and to provide further insight, I may at times explore a particular topic further with follow-up questions. So we're going to have a relatively dialogue-based Q&A session here. However, we must remain mindful as I'm trying to do right now, of our time limitations. It's very easy for time to slide away, and here we are at 10.37, so we must redeem the time already. Uh, and we don't want to get bogged down at any one... Now, I know that there are certain particular topics that might be your zealous piece of interest, and you might say, we need to spend more time on this, and we can all say amen, but we have to move on to other things, okay? So we'll do our best to cover as many things in a timely <laughs> manner as possible. But I can tell you this. Going over the questions that have been submitted, it is clear once again that a great many Seventh-day Adventist young people truly love this church. Amen. That view, uh, they view it as more than merely a rather a, a denominational option amongst other Christian flavors, but they understand that the Seventh-day Adventist church is a God-inspired last-day movement raised up to have a unique message at this end of time. Amen. And the zeal that you see in the questions is not you know, one of correction or ridicule, but it's one of support and, and, and coming from a position of, we want this to be great. We have the highest ideals and the best standards, and we want to see God's work be done His way. And so whenever these questions have come in, some seem questioning or critical even sometimes of church. That's fine. But it's coming from a spirit of wanting to see the church be its best for God's glory. Amen? So, what I'm going to do now is just offer a word of prayer, and they're going to invite Elder Wilson to come up, and we're going to launch into our Q&A session at this time. So if you would, please bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for this day of life at all. And thank you that we can be here at this time in this place and have the unique opportunity to fellowship together in this format and ask questions of our church leadership. But Lord, we know that the true leader of the church is none other than Jesus Christ himself. Mm, amen. And help each one of us as members or workers, whatever part we play in this work, to have firm root in Christ directly and in his word alone. But as we seek to work together, Lord, give us a spirit of camaraderie. that The Holy Spirit inspires a, a weaving together of our common interests. And let the world see witness that God is real, he is alive, and he's moving in his people today. So, Lord, as we ask these questions and get answers, Lord, I ask that your spirit would be here today. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Elder Wilson, if you would please come and join me here. Mm -hmm. You can have the, we have a, a, a very large room with a very small stage, so we're going to do our best to, you know, uh, have elbow room and breathing space. Uh, but before we dive into some of the thornier issues, which believe it or not, there are some thorny issues from time to time, uh, 
Let's start with some questions that have been directed just to you as a person. Now, everyone knows you as Elder or Pastor or Dr. Wilson, all of which are apropos. These questions seem to me more along the lines of Church Member Ted. And um, I, of course, will continue to regard you as Elder Wilson as you are my boss. But um, <laughs> one question that has come in, uh, uh, I assume more than once, and has risen to the top is just a simple question. Why are you, Ted Wilson, a Seventh-day Adventist? Well, let me thank all of you for being here, and hopefully you can hear. Those of you who were in the session just prior to this, when we were talking about total member involvement, and I'm really excited about the commitment that so many of you have, I mentioned to you that Pastor Dwayne McKee and his wife Kathy would be here. I thought maybe they would be coming tomorrow, but they are here today, even this, this, this morning. Yeah. Dwayne and Kathy, just stand up for a minute so people know who you are. Uh, Dwayne is our uh, Sabbath School Personal Ministries Director and Assistant to my office for total member involvement. And Kathy is working with us in our presidential office in the area of social media and uh, very dynamically in evangelism outreach. And they're going to be sharing more about total member involvement. So great to see you folks here. Why am I a Seventh-day Adventist? Well, I had the wonderful privilege of growing up in a wonderful Seventh-day Adventist home. Not everybody has that opportunity. And those who don't and who come from a different background have unique experiences that I can learn from. So no one is disadvantaged in the sense that, well, I didn't grow up in an Adventist home and I just don't have those advantages. There are many advantages in both ways. I think one of the things that I was not privileged to see in clarity until later in life was the clear distinction between what the world is and what God's church is. And those of you who have come out of the world and into God's church, it's so dynamic for you that you have to move on to something else within your growing experience. Why am I a Seventh-day Adventist? As I learned to appreciate God's precious holy word and the spirit of prophecy, and realize that we are living in such a critical time and Jesus is going to be coming very soon, I just have to ask, what else would you be than a mm. Seventh-day Adventist? Mm. When it becomes personal and when you really understand what it means to have this connection with Jesus on a daily basis, and let me tell you, sometimes it's a little bit tough with all the travel and everything else to keep feeding on the word. But by God's grace, I do my best. Each of us has to stay connected with the Lord. And then that experience helps you to understand the time in which we're living. That experience to me is probably the most dynamic thing. As I look around, as I listen to news, and as I access news, and I really keep up to date by God's grace on a lot of things happening, I just realize we're at the very end of time. Mm. We're living in the very last tips of those toes of Daniel chapter 2, and the Lord's going to come. So it just is so enthusiastically uh, and dynamically pointed out to me by everything that's happening around that I just want to be part of God's remnant people and share with others. Now, I'll let you in on a little tiny vignette, and I don't have time to tell the whole story. No, you don't. But <laughs> What's that? I said, no, you don't. <laughs> no. <clears throat> my great-grandfather came from Ireland, and his wife did too, my great-grandmother. They got married, settled in Philadelphia area, I think, then they went to Canada, then they finally ended up in Northern California, around Healdsburg. My grandfather, great-grandfather, noticed some tents. And originally, 
He thought perhaps the circus had come to town, but he learned that these were Seventh-day Adventist meetings. Now, those of you who know Northern California, you know that Adventism was established quite strongly in the Healdsburg area. My great-grandmother somehow, and I haven't pinpointed how it happened, but she became a Seventh-day Adventist, but not my great-grandfather. He was a good man, he had a ranch, he did orchard farming and whatnot, uh, had a store and all that kind of thing. So he was a prosperous, helpful person in the community, but he was not particularly a religious man. My great-grandmother, and this is really total member involvement, she invited my great-grandfather to come to the meetings in those tents. When he came, she didn't know what to expect, but the speaker was so pointed in helping to paint a picture of a loving Jesus who wanted to save my great-grandfather that when an appeal was made, my great-grandmother was absolutely amazed, couldn't believe it. Here her husband stood up and went forward in response to the appeal. And from there on out, he became absolutely a committed Seventh-day Adventist. Mm. He became the head elder of the Healdsburg Church. He was noted for helping people in so many ways. The speaker at that camp meeting who invited my great-grandfather to become a Seventh-day Adventist was Ellen White. We trace our connection in the Wilson family to that wonderful, practical ministry of the servant of the Lord. So why am I a Seventh-day Adventist? A lot of reasons, but I'm just so excited to be part of God's last day movement. Amen. I guess I could have just summed it up by saying that. No, that was sentence. a good story, though. You've got you to you keep that story in. That's good. good. Now, is, speaking of, that's a good transition to our next question. Is there a particular Adventist pioneer or historical figure in the church that you have a, have a, a special regard for or particularly admire? Well, I already answered that because yes. it would be Ellen White. Ellen White, okay. That's... Uh, but James, of course, James and Ellen White, uh, Joseph Bates. In fact, I have to tell you that uh, in September, this is going to be the second time we've done this, we will be taking all of the division officers and the General Conference officers on a very special heritage and spirit of prophecy tour in New England. And we will spend about seven days together learning about our past history and all of that. I want to tell you that really does something to the leadership of the church when they see where we have come from and how God has led us in the past and he will lead us in the future. So those pioneers are very meaningful to me, and we build upon what they have established. Let's not disappoint them. Mm. When we get to heaven and we meet them, because they're all dead now, when, they, when we meet them, let's show them the fruits of what we have built on and not deter from the wonderful platform. Amen. Amen. Well, Moving from Adventist history to present-day Adventism, uh, let's move into one of the most uh, discussed issues of the last several years in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We like to keep things fresh and relevant here. Um, <clears throat> women's ordination. You heard that in the room? Mm -hmm. <laughs> a question or two, that, a couple of questions have come in about this. If women's ordination has been been addressed by previous General Conference sessions, 1990 and 1995 in recent history. Why was it brought to the 2015 General Conference session, and could you explain the process that was involved that brought it there and what's gone on to bring it to where we are today? Well, we could talk, I guess, for the rest of the day on the subject. But no, we cannot. We can't, right. <laughs> Very briefly, uh, subjects which people hold various convictions on, uh, will be brought up at times within administrative circles, and they find their way then to an annual council, and then recommended on to the general conference session. 
And this particular subject has been looked at by a general conference session three times now. So the general conference in session really owns this question. It is also a question which has to do with the very basic uh, fundamental work force and approach that we have for ministry. So it involves every division and every local field. The 2010 General Conference session, we had a delegate stand up and ask that a clearer picture be given regarding ordination in general. And so we committed ourselves, it wasn't voted that we do this, but publicly we committed ourselves to holding uh, some review of this particular subject. It is a subject which has been talked about for the last 45 some years or so. Uh, we did have the uh, special uh, commission, special committee that met to discuss uh, the theology of ordination study committee and it was something that had many different viewpoints, many different uh, considerations. Uh, there was no unanimous uh, result from that. There were various points of view that came out. And in fact, there were three different approaches that finally emerged. Uh, one that was not in favor of women's ordination, one that was very much in favor, and then there was a third group that had their own perspective on, well, it's not really biblical, it's not really uh, something that is authorized, but maybe we ought to do it because of circumstances. That partic those particular viewpoints were then presented to the annual council, and it was then recommended to place before the general conference session the question as to whether divisions should be allowed to make a decision themselves on this particular issue. Actually, we went through a very careful process and tried to do it as fairly as possible. Those of you who watched or heard or were at the session saw that even, and I think actually this was God's intervention, our electronic voting system somehow didn't work. And, I, and even to this day, we're not sure why. Uh, anyway, it didn't work, so we finally abandoned using that. We just used cards, and then for that particular vote, we had an unusual exercise. I don't think we've ever done that before, where everybody quietly got up and marked their own ballot and, and very personally was involved, it wasn't a big show, nobody could tell what was what, and we went around and put the ballot into a box. We had the General Conference uh, Auditing Service guarding the boxes and caring for everything. It was done in a very careful way, and it was done with music. We had choirs singing, we had the organ playing. It was actually, it was one of the most unusual voting procedures I've ever been involved with. In any case, the vote was taken, and uh, as you know, the vote was to deny divisions to make their own decision, which means that we were back to the same original situation where uh, the church would work on this together and where we need to be together and realize that when a decision is made, we need to respect that decision. So, I may not have answered all your questions, but that's kind of how we got there. Okay, all right. Well, then, a follow-up then, because you mentioned the outcome of that vote, and yeah. um, it was to deny the allowance for divisions to make their own decision on this. Uh, an, an idea that has been floating about, whether it's in social media, in conversation, wherever, uh, is that because there could have been a wider margin, that that vote doesn't have a mandate. And therefore... You know, the idea is if something passes by, say, 55%, it's encouraged, but if something passes by 85%, it's expected. 
to be followed? You know, is there a threshold for credibility or compliance when it comes to a GC session vote? How does that work? Whether it's at a GC session or whether it is a, at a local church, the Seventh-day Adventist Church uses a very a democratic approach and a representative approach. When you have a local conference constituency meeting, your local church gets assigned X amount of delegates to come proportional to your membership. And uh, then votes are taken. We do not practice uh, some kind of unusual situation where if it is not uh, a huge majority, that then it is not valid. Generally speaking, and votes have been taken in many different places, whether it's in a nominating committee, whether it's on the floor for some particular item, whether it has to do with uh, some constitutional aspect or a particular policy, we practice a majority vote situation. So you have to get 50% plus one, okay? Which means that the, that's a majority. Now, to be honest, when you have a particular vote, if it's uh, something about some great plan you're trying to work out, if you don't have a, a lot of support, then of course you want to try and work with people to gain that support. But votes that are taken are accepted to be valid if it is a majority. And so whatever that majority is, is the will of the group. Now, we don't have the privilege of coming before the high priest and asking a question and having the Urim and Thummim, which was a marvelous expression on God's part, where one would glow brightly if it was yes and the other would cloud over if it was no. We don't have the presence of the Shekinah glory and of the cloud which led the children of Israel. We don't have Ellen White with us any longer. But I want to tell you, we are not left without a guide. Mm. The Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. The only way we have of making decisions today in the church is through intense prayer and through submission to God and each other, and then to take a vote. And when a vote is taken, it should be respected. Now, we need to work with those who have a different viewpoint. And some people say, well, my conscience will not allow me to accept the vote, whatever the vote is. In this case, this particular vote at the General Conference session. I have a conviction that goes counter to what was voted. Therefore, my conscience will not allow me. That's something that an individual has to work out with the Lord. I can't, I can't dictate to that person. The committee can't, except to say, and there's a marvelous passage, and I don't, I'm not going to take time to read it to you, but there's a marvelous passage in uh, volume 9 of the Testimonies which talks <laughs> very specifically about the general conference session. And when many people are assembled in a general conference session setting and a vote is taken that individuals should pull back with their own personal viewpoints if they are not in accordance with the vote that was taken. Now that's a very tough thing for people to do. And I simply have to appeal to individuals to work together. Now, you know, another very strange thing, and I'm going to kind of answer a few questions without your asking, because I've ahead. seen some of the questions. You've kind of heard these before, yes. Um, you know, some people somehow, and I, I mean, I have a little idea, but it's absurd. Some people have been giving so much misinformation or have been passing on misinformation. Well, the General Conference is equating the fundamental beliefs and the Bible with the working policy. This is so absurd as to be unthinkable. 
policies are simply the way that we all agree to function to accomplish the mission. Policies should be built on the very premise of an understanding of the Bible, the spirit of prophecy, and our fundamental beliefs. Those are the reasons why we do mission, because the Lord has given us this unusual opportunity in the very end of time. So policies that are voted at an annual council, and uh, you know, the book is fairly thick, actually when you read them, there are some very interesting policies. The problem is in the 21st century age, a lot of people don't read the policies. And unfortunately, there are some people who don't care about the policies. The policies are simply things that we mutually agree on, and they are voted by a majority vote. So, I mean, I'll just tell you, I know of at least two major initiatives that have been brought to the annual council that I have voted against. And actually, I have very conscientious reasons for voting against them. And they really are part of my, if you want to call it, my conscience. But because the world church in an annual council represented, representing the entire church, has voted a particular way, who am I to stand up and say, no, absolutely not, I'm not going to go along with that? I have to submit, even though I don't think it's the right way to go. Now, that doesn't mean I have to agree with it or, you know, I have to like it, but I'm part of a world family. Hmm. And when you're part of a world family and they make a decision, you go with it. Even to the extent of saying, well, you know, I just don't agree with it. Now, let me just, I'm not going to bore you with reading a lot of stuff, but there are a couple little things that you need to know. The Constitution of the General Conference, and really every, every conference office, every local mission, every union office, uh, th this is not a, a secret hidden book. It's not sold at the Adventist Book Center because it, it is something which, if it falls into the hands of individuals who want to misuse something, that's a potential, but everyone ought to, if they would really like to, know, they ought to know what's in these, in these policies. But the Constitution says the following. The General Conference conducts, this is the first page of the Constitution, the General Conference conducts much of its work through its divisions, which in turn are comprised of unions in specific areas of the world. Each division of the General Conference is authorized to carry out responsibilities in the territory assigned to it. It shall act, that's a division, and the unions which make up, it shall act in full harmony with the General Conference Constitution and bylaws, the General Conference working policy, and actions of the Executive Committee. In order to carry the authority of the General Conference, the actions of division committees shall of necessity be in harmony with and complementary to the decisions of the General Conference in session and the actions of the General Conference Executive Committee between sessions. It's in our very constitution of the General Conference. Now, there's one other little point I want to share here, and this is really interesting. It's under working policy, General Conference working policy. You know, what is it, etc. The General Conference working policy shall be strictly adhered to by all organizations in every part of the world field. The work in every organization shall be administered in full harmony with the policies of the General Conference and of the divisions respectively. No departure from these policies shall be made without prior approval from the General Conference Executive Committee except as stated below. Anyway, there are many instances in policy which are all agreed on by all of us that say we are a family, we stick together. And we're going to have a meeting in the very near future and I would plead with you to pray. In mid-January we will have a very important meeting with key leaders uh, from the North American Division. 
And I want you to pray that the Holy Spirit will speak through all of us mm -hmm. and that we will be submissive to each other and to the Lord and that we will find our way through. I have no doubt at all that the church is going to move forward victoriously. Mm. But we do have bumps along the road once in a while, and we need to find the way to get through them through a lot of prayer, through the Holy Spirit, and through submission. To kind of round off this portion of the conversation, you mentioned that there's a meeting coming up with the NAD leadership, and I would imagine there are other meetings to follow subsequently. This process of having meetings is not just a random idea that's come up. That was an actual <clears throat> annual council voted process. Is that correct? Could you very briefly explain to people what is the annual council versus general conference session, and what was the process outlined for dealing with those who continue to act or entities that seem to want to go out of harmony with the voted GC policy? That's a lot of question and very little time. Yeah, well, it, yeah, it involves a lot of explanation, but uh, very briefly and, and very humbly, I want to just state that uh, at the general conference session in what we call the steering committee where we had all division uh, officers with us, we agreed that this particular item, which came to the session, was voted, would be handled by divisions. And that the divisions would work on this and then report back to the general conference. And we did that for one full year through um, <clears throat> 2016 annual council. Then there was also the understanding that if, in fact, some entities don't wish to comply with the vote, that there must be some repercussion for that. What is it that you are to do? And to be honest, um, this has just about everything you need to do. You don't have to manufacture something new. So in any case, we had quite intense discussions at annual council time and with various uh, division officers and uh, we came to the conclusion that we would allow another year of humble discussion and, dis and talking, and that at the end of that, there would be recommendations that would come that would uh, give some kind of further approach to how to deal with those who are not in compliance. We are in that process right now, and that's basically what was voted at the annual council. Uh, there have been a lot of very strange things that have come out and misinformation, uh, individuals and groups who have proliferated, a lot of things that are simply untrue. Uh, the general conference wants to control unions or will take over unions. And all. The general conference doesn't do that. The, the, the unions are the building block of the general conference and they constitute divisions. We work through divisions and work with unions. In any case, <clears throat> what was voted at the annual council <clears throat> excuse me, was that we will look at this for another year, work with divisions, and it's not just this particular division. There are a couple other divisions that we're working with, and uh, by God's grace, we're going to find a way through. Probably not everybody will be happy with it, <clears throat> but we need to... We need to ask for the Lord's guidance and, and realize that the church is not going to fall apart. As I said last night, this ship is going to go through because the pilot of this ship is not Ted Wilson, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's a real short answer to what I could talk a lot about. No, that was very well done. Thank okay. you. <laughs> now, moving away from this, but kind of... Uh, uh, tangential, I guess. There are other issues, not just in the church, but in society at large that are, have risen to the fore in recent years. Um, and do you see a link between the question of women's ordination and the broader issues of gender and sexuality in society today? Okay, and there were a number of questions which were posed, I think, about the whole LGBT aspect yes. and how the church looks at this um, <clears throat> is the church going to downplay its convictions in order to keep its um, tax-free 
arrangements and all of this kind of thing. Let me state categorically that uh, God intends to bring healing to all people who are willing to allow his intervention to take place in their lives. We heard that this morning. We stood this morning at the worship in response to allowing God to work on things which we only know basically personally that we need to work on and that the Lord needs to work on and we need to submit to. <clears throat> in the area of human sexuality, um, there has been an incredible emphasis on providing rights to the LGBT community, and it is definitely uh, going to create some challenges for the church in terms of employment, institutions, and all of that. However, the Bible, in my opinion, and in the, I would have to say in the church's opinion, because they have voted it, maybe not everybody voted, but as I said, we work in a democratic way and a majority of people voted. Uh, we have some very clear statements about homosexuality. The Bible does not condone that practice. Neither does the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Now, if an individual is, has certain tendencies towards that but is not practicing and says, by God's grace, I will remain faithful to his word, then that person can be part of God's active church and its membership. But if an individual is openly professing something other than what the word of God says, and let's draw the same parallel, even uh, doesn't have to be a homosexuality, if they are heterosexual and flaunting their multiple relationships, there's nothing, there's no difference. It's, it's sin. I mean, this morning in our worship, we heard that there is sin, right? Okay. And we need to recognize that God can give us the victory over sin. Now, there's a wonderful representative here, uh, Wayne, from Coming Out Ministries. It's a ministry that I think is a real blessing. And in fact, we featured them uh, at annual council, and they have a special movie which has been shown, and I encourage you to invite them to come to campuses or churches and to share with how uh, God is working in a very powerful way to help us, as Jude 24 says, that uh, he will keep us from falling or stumbling. And God knows the power that he has in his hand to help us. Hmm. So we need to know that and accept it. Now, the issue of sexuality and the aspect of the public forum, let me tell you, it's only going to get more intense. But by God's grace, let's be loving, let's be kind, but let's not hide the fact that the Seventh-day Adventist Church stands on a clear understanding of the Word of God. Amen. And that's where we need to stand on every issue. But let's minister to people and show them care and love and point them to the one who can make them completely like him through his power not through our own power. Mm. So Amen. Cameron, I don't know, that's a very sensitive subject. Yes. Uh, but the Seventh-day Adventist Church is not going to backtrack on its biblical stand on Amen. that or on many other issues. So even if it gets us out of popular uh, regard and maybe even loses some money, we're, we're going to be faithful no matter what? Well. By God's grace? <laughs> you know, all we have to do is look in Scripture to see many individuals who were put in undesirable positions but resolved in their minds to stand clearly on God's side, Amen. regardless of what may happen. I mean, we know, you read Great Controversy, you know what's going to happen 
to many of us who are going to stand for Bible truth and stand for Jesus. But the Lord will stand with us. Amen. Kind of segueing from that, many of the young people here at GYC and might be you know, getting this recording to what are, are students in Adventist institutions, whether it be academies or universities, and sometimes there is a frustration, as has been exhibited in some of the questions that have been submitted, about when they are attempting to live a life of faithfulness to God and His Word, but the institutions themselves do not seem to hold to those same standards, whether it comes to, uh, whether it's issues of, and some of that are coming to creation, you already touched on homosexuality, or the spirit of prophecy and its role in our, in our walk with Christ. What can a young person do who feels that they are, and, and it can go with a, I'll bundle this together with another question. You see the same thing in some areas where lay members of churches feel that they can't be uh, fully exercising their Seventh-day Adventist faith within the context of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Uh, that there is, in the institutions, whether it be churches or schools, um, a lack of faithfulness institutionally that gives them a pressure uh, to not live out their faith um, personally. Can you, what can a person do in a, such a situation? All right, that's a tough question because I don't want people to get the impression this morning that a majority of administrators and of institutional people are taking us in the completely wrong direction because there are a lot of very, very faithful and committed administrators and institutional leaders. There are some people, and by God's grace, we need to ask that we are not part of that group, hmm. who will bend to political correctness and pressure. I mean, in my position, in your position, whatever your position is, the devil will try to push you into a situation where you will have to make a decision and you could make the wrong one by simply pulling back. You know, um, Romans 12, verse 2, in the Phillips translation, J.B. Phillips translation, it says, more or less, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And political correctness is probably one of the biggest enemies that the Seventh-day Adventist Church has right now. Mm. Uh, be a Daniel, be an Esther, be a Joseph, be a Moses, you know, stand for the right, though the heavens fall. Mm. And you can only do that as you're in connection with the Lord and as you're actively involved. Now again, let me come back to total member involvement. We're, we're looking towards the future for young people. And what do we want to see happen in the youth ministries department worldwide? And there are many wonderful things that are happening with youth. But two of the things that I'm hoping will be so emphasized. One is the plain teaching of the Word of God. Amen. Young people don't need to be entertained. They need to be fed. And they need to get excited about it. Secondly, service. Giving of yourself for somebody else. And it could be in a public uh, meeting kind of thing. It could be in some... Uh, community service aspect. It could be whatever it is, helping somebody else. I believe that service by young people in the name of Jesus helps to inoculate them against a lot of the distractions of the world because you really see a life that's changed. So young people who participate with us in one example of this in uh, public meetings, Duane, you get a lot of young people to go and hold evangelistic meetings. That's only one little aspect of being able to reach out and total member involvement. But I want to tell you, I've preached many evangelistic meetings, and I'll be doing so again in about another month. Every time I preach those wonderful biblical truths, I get reconverted all over again. 
it's just so exciting. You just can't preach those things without just making it touch your heart in a, in a very, very dynamic way. Now, to get back to your question, because we've wandered a long ways from that. Um, I believe that ways in which church members can help to keep all of us focused on the real mission of the church is through not lambasting people, not through pointing out all the errors in public ways, but in prayerful, committed, humble dialogue with people. Don't be afraid as a young person to walk up to a church leader and say, I need four minutes of your time. I want to share with you one of my prayer concerns. And this is what it is. In my local church, something isn't happening right. It's this and this. And to be honest, sir, I don't know how to fix that. But I know that it isn't in accordance with God's scripture. Now, if you're on a campus, there are multiple people you can start with. The vice president for uh, student affairs, uh, the academic dean, the chancellor. I mean, you can start with a, with a favorite teacher. Can you help me know how to work through the system because I have a burden on this particular aspect? It's not being done, or it's being done in the wrong way according to what I read in the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy. You would be amazed as to how influential a humble appeal to an administrator will actually find its mark in the heart of the administrator. I know from personal experience both telling somebody, maybe as a younger, younger person, but now as people come to me, as they will write to me, as they will talk to me, I will recognize, maybe not all the time, but I will recognize a very humble spirit in a person who has a real concern. And many times that will impress me. And I'll get my, my paper out and I write most everything in red, you'll see that. <clears throat> the reason, this is just trivia, but uh, I used to write everything in, in black or blue and then just uh, write the important things in red. And pretty soon everything became important. <laughs> so I was going to tell them, if you ever talk to Elder Wilson and he says, yeah, that's really important, he pulls out a black pen, just disregard it. But if he pulls out the red pen, it's going to happen. Yeah. But the interesting thing is, because I, in my own mind, recognize that red means my daily work. This is a funny little thing. I leave the red pen at home on Sabbath, and I don't take it. Amen. But uh, in any case, I, you, you cannot underestimate your power in approaching an administrator and saying, I have a concern, and I want to share it. If you come across as being... Uh, somehow defiant and yelling and these people are horrible and I'm, an administrator probably won't listen to you. But if you come across in a very humble way and, and have a real concern, you'll find out that something will probably change. Now, if it doesn't change, you, there are steps that the church has worked out. If you have a grievance, you can enlarge it. You can go to the local conference. If it's a, a church, church problem, you can go to the local conference. If that doesn't work, you can ask the union administration. They may refer it back to the local conference. I would say keep these things in constant prayer, and you will be amazed how the Lord will open a door. Well, speaking of one last thing on Adventist education, we, looking at our time, we have to move into our rapid-fire sequence. So okay. let's just give us a quick yes or no, or do whatever you want. <laughs> You're the boss. Um, <laughs> the cost of Adventist education. Some have felt that it's expensive to go to school. Some of them are in this room. <laughs> what can you say to young people who are trying to afford 
a, a Seventh-day Adventist education without going so far in debt that it's going to take them the rest of their life to pay off that thing? How, how, is there a way out of this, or what can we do? I Very don't, quickly. I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't have a full answer for that. Uh, we had a, a very important meeting at annual council time, spending about three days on Adventist education. We're facing some real challenges, and one of them is the cost. Um, I think somehow we're going to have to, at certain institutional levels, reduce the overhead using more uh, online activity, <clears throat> And somehow, and I don't know how, but reintroducing the opportunity of young people to actually work their way through school. Uh, that used to be the case. I know I did it, and many others. Uh, now, the interesting thing is, and what administrators are finding, is that young people, many of them, don't want to work. Or they have easy access to loans. I want to tell you, Stay away from loans as much as possible. <clears throat> After you graduate as well. Just, I mean, you know, yes, people have to get a mortgage and all that kind of thing. Drive an old car. Don't just get the fanciest thing and pay and pay and pay. Stay away from debt. But I don't have a good answer for the cost factor, except that institutions are going to have to find ways to eliminate some of the extra things. I'll tell you one problem that institutions face. In order to be competitive, they add new programs. Many times those programs are not as well attended by students, and so they have to carry that overhead. That increases the cost overall for the institution. Somehow institutions are going to have to find specific things that are going to be profitable, but yet very helpful to the church. Um, I don't have a good answer for a lot of the, the, the cost factor, except that do whatever you can to stay away from incurring thousands of dollars of loan debts. Uh, and, and we're going to be, we're going to have to keep working at that particular But it's encouraging problem. you can at least affirm that church leaders and institutional <clears throat> leaders are aware of the issue and are, are thinking along those lines. And They are very aware of it, and they are very concerned. And educational institutions themselves have to keep refocusing on the real mission of why they exist. Because if they're only there for a competitive edge and to try and get students uh, in order to, to maintain their validity of existence, that's not the real reason. The real reason for our institutions is to prepare young men and women to do mission for God. And, uh, and that can be in many different areas. It's not just in the traditional theology and medicine and that kind of thing, but in many different areas. The problem is how extensive can you provide offerings and still keep the costs reasonable? It's a very complex question. Yeah, yeah very complex. Uh, very, very quickly, and I know that these are there, are, there have been so many issues that have come in that each one could be an entire session in itself. So we can't expect a thorough, you know, exhaustive everything answer for these, but do you, just in a nutshell, do you see a time coming when there will no longer, at least in the North American division, be racially divided conferences? <laughs> you have two minutes. Two minutes, okay. <laughs> well, let me just indicate that that particular subject is not high on our agenda to try and reform everything. I will say, because there are various historical reasons for the developments of things like that, however, as the church becomes more and more diverse itself, there will be less and less understanding on the part of many younger people, especially, as to why those different organizations are maintained. And those things may develop in a natural way through constituency meetings and through people asking questions and talking. Uh, I will say that our regional conferences in the North American division, because this is, this is really a North, Amer <clears throat> North American division uh, concern or situation. It does not exist elsewhere. 
South Africa has had a bit of the problem, but basically they have, that's being pretty much resolved. It's in the process of being resolved. But I would say our regional conferences, of course, have been very evangelistically out, outwardly looking in terms of evangelism. And uh, the state conferences, the same. However, I will make this remark from statistics. It appears as though the group that is growing the fastest within North America is, of course, the Hispanic, Spanish-speaking uh, groups, and that Caucasians and African-American uh, groups are not seeing the kinds of growth that they have seen in the past. And how that's going to translate into how the dynamics of organizations proceed, uh, we'll let the Holy Spirit guide. But uh, I think we need to give strong support to any organization uh, regardless of how it began in terms of evangelistic outreach because that's the reason why we're here. What will happen in the future? That's in God's hands. Well, like I said, th thank you so much for answering these questions. There are many others we could have uh, really bogged down into and gone into in DPL, but in closing, just speaking to the average Joe lay person, young person who's here today, beyond personal faithfulness to Christ, how would you like to see young people more useful in their work for Christ? What would you like to see from the young people of the Seventh Adventist Church that you're not seeing now but should be there? Don't be afraid to stand up and be counted as one of God's faithful servants. Stand where you are and make a difference. Don't hide behind any kind of uh, perceived wall or uh, barrier or even political correctness. Uh, be direct, but be sweet about it. Uh, let the Holy Spirit work through you to help guide your local church. Many of you come from small churches uh, where maybe things have been done in a certain way and the church is not seeing growth and you're frustrated, uh, sit down with the leaders of the local church, local church and just say, I'm a young person, I want to see things grow and I want to be part of it and I want to be part of it with you. Don't set yourself up as youth against the older generation. You've got to work together. And uh, the experience of those who are older will be a profound blessing as they see the enthusiasm of young people. I mean, that was exhibited so markedly at the annual council, our recent annual council, when we had world leaders from all over the world, and we had all these young people who were part of Souls West and literature evangelism outreach, and they came and helped us to deliver glow tracts and the book of the year, which is, it has another name, but it's Story of Redemption, uh, to the neighborhoods around the General Conference. And we went out Sabbath afternoon. It was even drizzling a little bit and rainy. I tell you, it was so much fun and so exciting to see these leaders participating with young people. Mm. So you have older people, younger people, everybody working together. Don't ever give up your right you want to call it a right, your privilege of standing for truth and of doing it in a winsome and a loving Christ-like way. God will bless you for it, and he'll bless the church. Well, our time is up. I want to thank all of you for being in attendance and for submitting the questions ahead of time. I want to thank Elder Wilson for being here at all and speaking to us so candidly. Uh, it's a rare opportunity. Can we all say amen for Elder Wilson's presence here today? Can you also commit with me, not only for Elder Wilson, because he's right. Elder Wilson is one man. The, the true leader of the church is Jesus Christ, and he's working through many, many people throughout the world. Can we as young people commit to a faithfulness to God's word and his movement in this last day, the Seventh Adventist Church, and pray for our leaders, even when, or especially when we see that they might have a need or a shortcoming that needs some revival and reformation in their own lives. That we don't want to talk about them, we want to talk to them. We want to lift them up before the Lord in prayer so that we as a church family 
can be knit together and be a living witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we commit to that today? Let's stand for a word of prayer as we close out our time together. And just before we pray, I want you to walk out of this room filled with hope for the future. Because this is an incredible movement, the Advent movement. And God is not going to let this movement wither away in some little corner. It's only going to grow stronger and more heaven-directed. And God will bless you as you allow him to work through you in whatever setting you're in, in whatever conference arrangement, be an agent, an agent of proclaiming the three angels' messages. This is such an exciting time to be alive. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for life at all, and we thank you for the hope of eternal life that comes only through Jesus Christ. And Lord, more, more than mere faithfulness, you've given us the responsibility and the privilege of being co-laborers with you and with one another in hastening your soon coming. We are assured that we are in enemy territory and the devil is not pleased when the work goes forward. And we know that the arrows and slings of the devil will be coming at us from every direction and it will only get worse from this earth perspective, but we want a higher perspective. Lord, set our mind on a different place on the very face of Jesus Christ. Please help us to always be cognizant that the real leader of this movement is the Son of God himself. Amen. And that in his strength, he will do great things. As this world goes darker, his glory will be lighter. So Lord, help us be part of that movement. Keep us faithful and make us useful until the very end. For we pray it in Jesus' name. This message was presented at the GYC 2016 conference, when all has been heard, in Houston, Texas. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.